Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Jim Garrity is out today, and I'm happy to welcome in his place Scott Bertram. He is the general manager of Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 on the campus of Hillsdale College, which has collected an amazing number of national and regional awards, uh, given its uh, relatively recent uh, existence, uh, less than 10 years old. But uh, Scott also provides us Excellent interns here at Radio America. So good that the current one actually beat me and everyone else in the NCAA pool at Radio America, Scott. So uh, whatever you're doing, it's working. We don't just teach journalism and broadcasting, but we also teach uh, you know insight into, uh, into trends in college basketball. That's what we do around here. Well, see, Hillsdale's at the cutting edge, and now that every you can gamble on everything and anywhere at any time in college sports and every every other sport, uh, you got to stay on top of that too. So, so well done. It's a it's a full education there at Hillsdale. Thank you, and we appreciate Radio America uh, taking our interns and training them up and uh, sending them back better than they were. Well, our pleasure, our pleasure. So it's a great relationship, and of course, I'm as our longtime listeners know, I'm a proud Hillsdale grad as well. So it's a great relationship, and we have good, bad, and crazy martinis uh, for conservatives today. And let's start with the good. Uh, we know that, of course, it's April, which means that sometime in the next couple of months, probably in the second half of June we are going to get uh, the most politically sensitive uh, Supreme Court decisions. We've got a, a couple of abortion cases. We've got uh, Second Amendment cases. There's a lot of things that the court's going to be handing down decisions on and that people, based on their politics, are going to have strong reactions to potentially. So Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett trying to tamp that down. It's probably not going to work, but I love her philosophy here, Scott. This is from uh, Politico, but via the Associated Press. Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett said Monday that judges are not deciding cases to impose a policy result, but are making their best effort to determine what the law and the Constitution require. In a nation splintered by partisanship and racked by incivility, Barrett, in remarks at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, appeared to acknowledge that expected court decisions on reproductive rights and gun control would be seen through a political lens and lead to division. She urged Americans, quote, to read the opinion and consider the court's reasoning before making judgments about the outcome. Quote, does the decision read like something that was purely results-driven and designed to impose the policy preferences of the majority? Or does this read like it actually is an honest effort and a persuasive effort, even if one you ultimately don't agree with, to determine what the Constitution and precedent requires? Americans should judge the court or any federal court by its reasoning. Quote, is its reasoning that of a political or legislative body, or is its reasoning judicial? So, Scott, we can't ask for much more of a uh, appropriate lens to decide cases on from the Supreme Court. Uh, sometimes they give sweeping decisions. Other times, you know, they'll they'll look at uh, smaller matters within the argument. Sometimes they'll argue them on standing. Uh, we don't know what the results are going to be. They're very tight-lipped about these sorts of things. Uh, the way she's phrased this makes me think that some of them might be pretty sweeping, uh, embracing us for that. But what do you make of her uh, explanation here and, and what we can expect? Greg, what are the chances that Americans take Amy Coney Barrett's advice and read the opinion? <laughs> pretty low. I think pretty low. 
they might see uh, bits and pieces in various media outlets, but people rushing to the SCOTUS website or wherever they go to find the opinion, download the pages and read through. I, I highly doubt that's going to, to happen, uh, literally for any case. You know, Amy Cody Barrett went through this in her confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court, this sort of um, different way of viewing where opinions come from, because what did we hear over and over again about Judge Amy Coney Barrett? She's going to take away your health care. She's going to vote to take away your health care. She's going to vote to take away Obamacare. And that's not the way justices work to have some sort of, you know, I believe that I'm going to eliminate uh, this uh, Obamacare. And so I'll rule this way. That's not the way it should go. And for we speak in some generalities here, but for many on the left, you know, the effectiveness and the legitimacy of the Supreme Court comes from whether or not the decision reached is one that they agree with uh, from a public policy perspective and not one that they interpret based on how the justices look at the issue at hand and how it is decided. So, of course, Justice Barrett is right in this case. I doubt, though, uh, and really, it, it does come to the media in many ways because that's where the news is filtered through. And that's where people who don't go to the opinion and, and read the opinion are going to find out uh, what, what was discussed, uh, not discussed during the, the hearings, of course, but also what, what's discussed in the, in the actual opinions themselves. And it's likely not going to be a very full picture of exactly what the justices say in these cases when it comes to how they actually interpret the law when compared to the outcome of the interpretation. And people's opinions of the opinions are going to be determined by who is framing them in the articles they read or the stories they listen to or or watch on TV. And they come in, of course, uh, especially on these issues that do have a hot-button political component with their preconceived positions on them and whether or not the constitutional issue at hand lines up with that will probably uh, determine how people feel about it. But we know that uh, the court certainly has a history of not doing this. Uh, From a conservative perspective, I think a lot of us grind our teeth or pull out our hair, still thinking back almost 10 years now about how John Roberts basically Mm -hmm. rewrote the Affordable Care Act to make it a tax on the individual mandate, even though it should have been uh, struck down on the Commerce Clause. So he you know, invented a way to keep it constitutional in order to uh, tell everyone, hey, if you don't like it, uh, tell the legislature about that. And of course, Anthony Kennedy, relying on that time-honored constitutional principle of love is love in uh, Obergefell, so, <laughs> as opposed to states deciding these things. So, uh, And of course, many liberal justices have done the same thing. So um, it's understandable why people expect the justices you know, uh, approved and nominated by either party to do their political bidding. But but Barrett's got it right here. You saw perhaps Politico. Yes. And it was yesterday, uh, Greg, where Politico had a tweet that was sent out that that there was in advance of uh, Judge uh, Judge uh, Jackson's uh, confirmation saying she'd be the first African-American on the court. Um, Forgetting about, well, Thurgood Marshall, forgetting about uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, of course, and Looking forward, you can see the same thing happening to uh, Justice Barrett. She's she's not really a woman, you know, Greg. Uh, the, the females on the bench, uh, Kagan, Sotomayor, and the, the future justice, uh, they really represent women in the country, right? And Justice Barrett is just sort of over here on the side. She'll be talked about in much the same way, of course, that Justice Thomas has talked about being some sort of traitor to her gender based on certain decisions she makes. So she has that to look forward to for the next 
30 or 40 years. Yes. Yes. The left is all about uh, women and minorities. Unless the women and the minorities uh, don't toe the line on the liberal ideology, then they get more venom from the left than anybody else. It's just obvious from watching Thomas and the handmade Tale theme that was going on with the Amy Coney Barrett nomination and so forth. So we will see what the decisions are. We might like them. We might not. Uh, but uh, that is the way that justices and judges should be deciding cases. So good for her for pointing that out. By the way, the smart way to conduct yourself online is to protect yourself. And that not only includes protecting yourself from hackers and snooping from your search engine, but your entertainment options as well. Look, watching Netflix, for example, without using ExpressVPN is like buying tickets to a concert you want to go to, but only being allowed to watch the opening act. And Scott, by the way, is the host of the Political Beats podcast, so that would really annoy him to be only able to watch the opening act of a concert he really wants to see. But That's right. In fact, sometimes I miss the opening act on purpose. <laughs> With these streaming services, and I'm thinking of Netflix in particular, it restricts your content many times based on where you are. But with ExpressVPN, it lets you change your online location so Netflix thinks you're located where you want it to think you're located. This is very simple to use. You can look at the Netflix content unblocking chart to figure out what you want to watch. Then you just open up the app, select the country you want to be located in, tap one button to connect, refresh the page, and you're there. But there's more benefits from ExpressVPN, including blazing fast speeds, stream in HD with zero buffering. It's also compatible with all your devices, including phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com martini. Don't forget to use our link at at expressvpn.com slash martini to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. All right, Scott, let's move on to our bad martini now, and it kind of dovetails with our first martini. Uh, Barrett's comments could be seen as uh, letting us know there could be some sweeping changes on the abortion front uh, due to those uh, cases that are uh, coming down the pike here. So as a result, some blue states are trying to preempt that by having unrestricted access to abortion. And then some. Let's start with the latest uh, evidence of this. That's in Colorado. Fox News with the story. Governor Jared Polis signed into law a bill creating a fundamental right to abortion, contraception, and other forms of reproductive health rights while explicitly denying any right to a fetus. The law states that, quote, access to abortion and reproductive health care is currently under attack across the nation. Impending federal court cases, including Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, jeopardize access to legal abortion for tens of millions of people, particularly those living in most southern and midwestern states. It goes on to say a pregnant individual has a fundamental right to continue a pregnancy and give birth or to have an abortion and to make decisions about how to exercise that right. And here's the kicker, quote, a fertilized egg, embryo or fetus does not have independent or derivative rights under the laws of this state. And Scott, as you pointed out to me as we were prepping for this, Maryland and now California are actually pushing legislation that would make it okay for babies born but died of neglect, there'd be no criminal charges related to that. So uh, if they think that a 15-week abortion ban, which seems to be relatively popular, uh, is extreme, letting born babies die is beyond the pale. Yeah, Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, getting some attention as being one of the more moderate voices of his party on COVID, mm -hmm. shutdowns, masking, things like that. Is he the Democrat to talk to 
uh, you know, the sort of blue collar Trump voter that uh, flipped parties in 2020 or in 2016, uh, not likely signing legislation like this in Colorado. And, and you mentioned these bills in, in, in uh, Colorado and I'm sorry, in Maryland and now California. Wesley Smith over at National Review writing this. And I was telling my wife about this the other night and she refused to believe me. And of course, I then had to send the link. Uh, you know, how, how could there be laws uh, that permit infant death by neglect? Well, not laws yet, but they are proposed in, in both of those states. Uh, a bill in California uh, applies to perinatal outcomes, which I had to look it up just to make sure I knew. But that's the, the weeks directly before the weeks directly after birth. And the, the law or the proposed bill here says the legislature finds and declares that every individual possesses a fundamental right of privacy with respect to personal reproductive decisions, which entails the right to make and effectuate decisions about all matters relating to pregnancy, including prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscarriage management and infertility care. And you go further in here. It says, notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal penalty or liability or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillbirth or abortion or perinatal death. Death after birth, Wesley Smith says, in analyzing this, we have to assume the bill means what it says. No civil or criminal liability or penalty based on their actions or omissions with respect to perinatal outcomes. And he even says, come to think of it, actions could be interpreted to mean active killing, couldn't it? Not just neglect. In his mind, this California bill goes farther than even the Maryland bill that was presented. Once you allow killing up to nine months, once you allow killing up to the point where the baby is crowning, it doesn't take much to go farther than that. And these are the sorts of things that Governor Northam was talking about, right? The baby's born. We put it aside. We have a conversation about what we're going to do next, whether or not we give the baby care. These are things that have been talked about among Democratic circles for some time. And there are politicians now just trying to enshrine them in the law. The Republican bills in the states that are now before the Supreme Court, again, 15 weeks. That's after the first trimester, right? Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the Democrats, the extreme on the other end, of course, all the way up to birth and now even beyond in some of these blue states. So uh, I think most Americans have their opinion on abortion. But when you nuance it, you know, should it be after the first trimester, the numbers go down yes. after 20 weeks feeling pain? It goes way down unless there's uh, really an, a medical emergency. And I can't imagine hardly more than a tiny fraction of people being okay with what you just described in Maryland and California. It really is uh, beyond the pale. And hopefully people who are, you know, at least conflicted about the issue uh, can see which party is really extreme here because this is insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, Alexandra DeSanctis has written about this at uh, National Review. The more you describe what these laws actually do, the more people's opinion change. If you act, uh, ask a straight, you know, do you think Roe v. Wade should be upheld? You get largely, uh, most uh, times, a, a majority saying yes. When you ask about what Roe v. Wade being overturned actually would do, you know, returning authority to the states, states could then decide. Those numbers change. Wall Street Journal had a poll, I think, just last Friday out asking specifically about a 15-week abortion ban. And 48% of voters said they would be in favor of restrictions like that. And at the same time, you see them say, well, we were in favor of Roe v. Wade. So the important thing here is getting uh, an electorate and I guess a polling sample 
that actually is informed. If you want, if you want real, actual opinions, people have to know what what they're what they're talking about, or have to know what they're what they're giving an opinion on. Exactly, and you know, the left, of course, has its dogma on a whole number of issues. Uh, but I don't know if there's anyone that's more extreme than this one. It's just getting more extreme. So, yeah. um, you know, the environment, I would say, is another one. But this one is, uh, wow. I mean, it's it's hard to get more radical than letting people who have already been born die. Hard to transition out of that one, Greg. But I will tell you, this is the God's honest truth. There's nothing I enjoy more than a, uh, than a nice hot shower in the morning. It's one of the blessings of living in a civilized world a hot shower. But then it's over and you've got to dry yourself off. And then what do you need? Well, you need a great towel. And that's where my pillow comes in and their six-piece towel set. Regularly $109.99, now just $39.99 a set. Made with cotton grown here in the U.S. Other towels, you know these towels, you probably have them. They feel good, but they don't absorb. It's a big problem. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch with no lotion-y feel. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. Available in a variety of colors and sizes, machine washable, and a 60-day money-back guarantee with a one-year limited warranty. So, for a limited time, you can get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99, but now just $39.99 with promo code martini visit mypillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 you'll also find deep discounts on all my pillow products including the my pillow mattress topper uh, the my pillow dream sheets and so much more get your six-piece my pillow towel set for only 39.99 today at mypillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 Zero four or mypillow.com slash martini. All right, Scott, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And this one uh, gets us pretty close to home here, where you are, of course, in southern Michigan. I'm a Michigan native. Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Boy, we have chronicled her well ever since the start of the pandemic, especially roping off specific aisles and stores because, you know, if you go to the... No paint, no no seeds, you can't have it. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. Not even allowed to get your lawn cut for a while there. You don't even have to interact with the people, but you can't get your lawn cut. Anyway, she's running for re-election this year. And of course, uh, she's trying to make sure uh, she has the best chance for re-election. The smart thing to do when uh, setting up Fair elections, of course, is to make sure that your voter rolls are as up-to-date as possible. But Gretchen Whitmer wants nothing, nothing to do with that. Uh, This is from the Detroit News. Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed two bills Friday that would require the Michigan Department of State to take a more proactive approach to pruning the state's voting rolls of inactive voters. The bills specifically require communications and removal actions related to registered voters in the qualified voter file who either have an unknown date of birth or have not voted in an election for more than 20 years. The bills are among several GOP-led pieces of legislation that Whitmer has killed over the past year as Republicans seek stricter voting standards in the wake of the 2020 election. Democrats have advocated looser policies providing more access to the election process. Whitmer says the measures, quote, do not advance the goal of improving Michigan elections. Instead, they would burden clerks and voters while increasing costs to Michigan residents. Yeah, burden them by making them do their job. A uh, Senate fiscal analysis last month estimated the mailing cost for the effort would come to about $100,000. So 
Scott, quick story on this. 2020, as you may remember, uh, Gretchen Whitmer had her government send out at least absentee ballot applications to every registered voter in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Now, my father had passed away in 2019, so my mom calls me up, I think it was in the spring of 2020, says, guess who got a uh, absentee ballot application? And I said, okay, and it's been a year, it's not that bad, so I'm like, it's probably dad, right? She's like, yep, guess who else got one? You! <laughs> Scott, I've not lived and voted in Michigan since the late 1990s. Uh, my parents had gone to local elections and, and voted in years past, and the people administering the election would say, oh, is Greg coming today too? I told him over and over and over again that, he, that I don't live there. I'm still on the voter rolls. And so if I'm there a quarter of a century later, how badly screwed up are these voter rolls? I guess we won't know. Um, <laughs> One note on the cost. So $100,000, too much cost, Gretchen Whitmer says. She just signed a bill to spend $4.8 billion on infrastructure in the state, water and roads and bridges and broadband. But $100,000 is too much to make sure the voter rolls are clean. There are really a number of aspects to the story that make you go, what, what, is, what, what is she thinking? One is, this is nothing. this has nothing to do with 2020. This is not some sort of reaction to 2020. This was uh, initially introduced before the 2020 election and is based upon not just someone's whim, but a report by the Auditor General in Michigan in 2019 that told everyone we have concerns with the voter roll because of inactive voters like you, Greg, (laughs) and uh, placeholder birthdays in Michigan. If someone if they're unsure or confusion over a date of birth, they put in January 1st, 1900. It's a bunch of people who have birth dates of January 1st, 1900 around the state. And they said we have we have concerns about this. That's where this bill comes from and then how does it work okay so if you have a problem with the birth date or or haven't voted in 22 years haven't voted since the 2000 general election you get a card in the mail and then you verify your birth date or verify a current address that's it you're taken care of if you don't respond or the card is comes back as undeliverable like you know it goes to the place where you used to live greg and it comes back as undeliverable then you still have two more cycles to vote before you're taken off the rolls. Nothing happens immediately uh, if you don't respond to this card that's set out. So essentially, they're saying if you have voted in the past 30 years, you're fine. And it's still not good enough. Um, the, uh, the Secretary of State said there were unnecessarily onerous restriction or it would make it unnecessarily onerous for voters to stop the removal from the list by verifying an address, verifying a uh, a date of birth, or going out to vote. Those are too tough for Michigan voters to do. Of course, our Vice President Kamala Harris on BET over the weekend also told us she thought it was too onerous for anyone in rural America to figure out how to make a copy of their driver's license. You, you can't do that, apparently, if you're not in San Francisco uh, or New York. New York, No one knows how to make a copy uh, to, you know, for voter ID laws. It's a very big problem out there, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I talked about that yesterday. I grew up in a small town in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We had lots of photocopiers. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mister Hoity Toity, I, I, I bet up there everyone's got a copier. <laughs> oh man, yeah, this is just naked ambition at this point, right? I mean, uh, 
the move she made in 2020 with the universal absentee applications going out was crazy. I mean, you should have to request those if you want to vote that way. And if you want to vote that way, that's fine. But uh, the way she did that uh, is certainly curious. And the fact that she doesn't want up-to-date, accurate rolls, even if it's a computer glitch, like you were saying, with the birthdays recorded in 1900 and so forth, mm-hmm. it's it, that just proves that she doesn't want updated roles. And there's a reason for that. And it's because uh, perhaps she doesn't think her odds of winning are as good in that sense. And you got to wonder why. She is rewriting her uh, four-year legacy, too, earlier this uh, year, put out some press releases talking about how she was the champion of schools and keeping schools open and making sure that uh, the children were in person. And that is not the experience here in Michigan. In fact, when she was putting out those releases, there were still certain places in Michigan, Flint, I think, for sure, that were still uh, remote education uh, under her leadership in Michigan. Exit question on this one, Scott. Like I said, she's up for re-election this year. A, a few Republicans in the race. Uh, not any, I would say, that are truly prominent. I believe James Craig, the former Detroit police chief, is right now uh, the front runner. Uh, Michigan does not have a history of firing governors, to say the least. Uh, what, what's your sense of the, the mood in the state about Gretchen Whitmer and whether Republicans really do have a shot this year? Yeah, my sense, you know, I grew up in Illinois and now I live in Michigan for the past uh, six and a half years or so. My sense on both those gubernatorial races essentially comes down to, uh, at least right now, Republicans in Illinois and Republicans in Michigan don't have that sort of star challenger out there waiting to take down the incumbent, G.B. Pritzker, uh, the billionaire in Illinois, and Gretchen Whitmer here in, in Michigan. Uh, I think both are vulnerable for, for different reasons and certainly the cycle and the environment is favorable to Republicans, but I don't know if any of the candidates in either state can really sort of harness that energy. James Craig, as you mentioned, probably is the most prominent uh, name, former Detroit chief of police, Uh, although it's not exactly as if he is a fundraising juggernaut at this point. He is not running away with it in in, in the primary polls. Mm. Uh, There is a a, a woman named Tudor Dixon, a businesswoman who also was a, a host for a cable network at one point. Uh, who just received the endorsement of our Senate Majority Leader uh, Republican and also got very nice words from Donald Trump uh, at his rally here in Michigan this past weekend. So uh, is she someone who perhaps can sort of balance the ability to get support from both the Trump, more the Trump wing and more the establishment Senate Majority kind of wing? It's hard to say. There are a lot of candidates up here and we're still months away from the from the primary. I think it's the beginning of August out here in Michigan. So there's still time. But you're right. There is not that that breakout sort of candidate on the Republican side that you could say, well, I can certainly see how how Gretchen Whitmer is in trouble because this candidate is going to be a big problem. Not quite yet. Well, if Gretchen Whitmer does survive, expect her to be a significant player, perhaps, in the future on the national level. Uh, she can't run again. Two-term limit for Michigan governor. And given right. the state of uh, the Democratic bench on the national level, uh, she might uh, she might have a future there, which we would not be happy about. Uh, she's been a train wreck. Uh, but... Um, They like train wrecks in the Democratic Party, especially when they (laughs) pursue radical policies. But as Scott mentioned, you know, he's an Illinois native, which means he has excellent sports judgment, especially when it comes to football. Uh, He's a fellow Bears fan. So that's uh, also a nice thing to have going for us today. He is a White Sox fan as opposed to a Cubs fan. But, uh, you know, hope springs eternal for both. 
That's right. This week, we start opening day uh, Thursday across the league, Friday for my White Sox, and certainly World Series contenders, which you can't say every year about <laughs> those White Sox. No, no. They're the, I just saw the power rankings. I think they're in the top uh, three. So, uh, And I think maybe the best team in the American League expected to be. So the Cubs have a bunch of names uh, you could pick out of a phone book this year as opposed to last year. They had a nice fire sale at the trade deadline, so I'm not expecting huge things, but hopefully they'll rebuild well. They've got Pedro Serrano. They've got Jake Taylor. Uh, they've got a great third baseman <laughs> who sometimes plays some suspect defense. Ed Harris on the mound. Uh, it's a strong roster. They could surprise. Yeah, a young guy out of the California Penal League might work well, uh, at least in relief. We'll see how that works out. But uh, You know, there's a guy in the White Sox who actually had Ronaldo Lopez Middle of last year, complained he couldn't see the signs, and they got him. They got him contact lenses, and all of a sudden he became a much better pitcher. He, he is on the Ricky Vaughn track. <laughs> Fantastic, Scott. A lot of fun doing this with you today. Have a great day, and we'll hopefully do it again down the road. Greg, appreciate the invitation. Thanks for having me. Scott Bertram is the uh, general manager of Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7, which has earned a trophy case of awards on the national and regional level. Uh, And uh, also, of course, he teaches at Hillsdale College. uh, And he's the host of the Political Beats podcast, which is part of the Ricochet family as well. Uh, I'm Greg Karemis of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Also, thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Those are always a huge help to us get us on your home devices all you have to say is play three martini lunch podcast follow us on twitter scott is at scott bertram that's one t in scott s-c-o-t-b-e-r-t-r-a-m jim is at jim garrity and i'm at dateline underscore dc have a great tuesday and please join us again on wednesday for the next three martini lunch Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.